Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome back to the Dungeon of Doom. I am Kyle Mikey, Lions beat writer for MLive, joined as always by Ben Raven. A little bit different format today, Ben. We're, we're ditching the, the mailbag, and uh, I think for a very good reason. Yeah. We had, we had a good chat with um, Eric Kramer, the former Lions quarterback, who has written a book called The Ultimate Comeback. He'll join us to talk about the book and his really, I mean, it's a really remarkable story of perseverance. I mean, if you don't know, you're going to find out, but basically the man put a bullet in his own head and has lived to tell about it. And it's it's I, I think it's a really cool thing to to see Ben um, him using his platform to to speak about his experience with depression and everything that he went through um, and his story of perseverance. He also happens to be the last Lions quarterback to uh, win a playoff game yeah. <laughs> in '91 and last Lions quarterback to start a home playoff game. Um, so with the Lions at eight and three, kind of an opportune time to welcome back a guy who has a really great story to tell. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great heart-wrenching story. And, you know, props to Eric because not only does he not back away from his past, but he's embracing it and kind of moving forward with his life, like, you know, finding how to live with purpose. So, yeah, there's definitely a, a little suicide warning on this episode, if that is a sensitive topic for you, just a heads up there, because this is, you know, Eric's going to talk about losing his teenage son. He's going to talk about trying to take his own life. And uh, as I alluded to, he he does not spare details, thoughts, both things that happened or things that were going through his head. So, yeah, just uh, definitely prepare yourself for this one if that's a sensitive topic. He's also going to talk about starting playoff football games for the yeah. Detroit Lions. So, again, trigger trigger warning. <laughs> also that. <yes. laughs> just, it hasn't happened in 30 years, yeah. Ben, uh, that the Lions have played a you know a home playoff game or been even longer, you know, since '91, since they won a playoff game. He was he was the guy in the center for that game. I asked him about it. That was pretty cool. I guess Ben, you know, the Lions are. I, I know that Thanksgiving was pretty big disappointment. They they played poorly. One of the biggest upsets in Thanksgiving history, actually. Um, but despite that, the Lions are still eight and three. They have a two and a half game lead heading into December. Uh, I got really curious this week, and because of the long break, I had some <laughs> rare downtime. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to look up the last time the Lions led by two and a half games in the month of December. And I had to go way, way back to 1954. That's a lot. <laughs> um, so this is uncommon stuff, man. So I know that for as bad as the Lions played on Thanksgiving and really going back to the Bears game or even defensively to the Chargers game, it's it's been a real slide for them. 31 points allowed on average in those games, second worst in the league. 
it's bad stuff, but their goals are still ahead of them. They're still eight and three. Uh, they, they have total control of the division, second best record in the, in the NFC. So Ben, I guess my question for you is what's your temperature on this team heading into December and beyond? You know, it, it's still very high. I think they're still very clearly the class of the NFC North. You know, I think maybe the Packers are going to finish better than people thought. But if you watch Monday Night Football <laughs> between the Bears and the Vikings this Ooh. past week. yeah, I, I did not, and I consider myself very lucky. <laughs> and I did. I watched that game from start to finish, and I hated absolutely every second of it. So just, I, I feel good. Obviously, the problems on defense are real. They're, they're there, and the big concern moving forward is, what the heck does this struggling defense look like without Alex Anzalone in the middle? Yeah. So that that's a big-time concern. You know, that's why I say lukewarm, because... Of all the things you said, of all the firsts they've accomplished this season, you know, they're they're going to win 10-plus games. They're going to host a playoff game this year. You know, they're going to win the division. So keep that in perspective. <laughs> but at the same time, be real about this defense because the pressure has been inconsistent. The coverage has been lacking, specifically at the number two spot with teams really – I mean, Jerry Jacobs was the only corner targeted more than three times last week. I mean, teams yeah, have found – yeah. they found that weakness and they're going for it. So, like, those problems aren't going away – and reinforcements aren't really on the way, at least right now. So that's that's why I'm lukewarm. Look, here here's my temperature. My temperature is we're in year three of a, a like an exhaustive rebuild, tearing apart every corner of this franchise. And because it happened so long ago, I think we forget about it. But that includes quarterback. Yeah. These are like really difficult things the Lions have put themselves through, and. I think they're way ahead of where anyone expected them yeah. to be when we were in, like, say, like November of 2021, when they're, <laughs> what, like, one and seven or whatever it was. I mean, like, now they, they've ruled the North. They're going to win the North. They're going to host a playoff game in year yeah. three of this rebuild. Yeah. Um, like, they're, they're, a, they're a good team and certainly way better than anyone expected them to be at this point. I also think it's fair that with the way they started this year and how they look at their best – that bar gets raised. Like yeah. they, people don't just want a playoff entrant anymore. They want to see home playoff games. They want to see playoff wins, and to 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 advance in the postseason, you generally have to be an elite team. And while the Lions, I think, are very good, I don't think they're elite. Not yet. I, I think they have too many holes on defense to be elite. They allow too many plays against too many. Like basically any any quarterback who's 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 worth a damn. And you're going to see those kind of quarterbacks in the postseason. I, I just think they lack personnel on that on that side of the ball um, to, to win one-on-one. That's what I see on the tape um, outside of guys like Aiden Hutchinson. And let's be frank, these days, Alex Anzalone. Yeah. He has been, ben, he has been one of their best players on defense this season. He's not like a star linebacker in the league, but he's a very good linebacker who's, who – Covers well. He's pressured better than ever before. Already has career highs and you know hits, hurries, all that kind of stuff. Sacks with three of them. And I think losing him is going to be a, a real blow. Derek Barnes has shown flashes. Jack Campbell, I think, is is pretty far behind where I expected him to be. Malcolm Rodriguez got got benched for a reason. Like that's going to be the mix for the next couple of weeks. And um, I think it's going to be it's going to be rough rough sledding for a defense that has really it's been one of the league's worst. No, and I mean, Anzalone is, I mean, he's legit been playing him, playing like a star. Like, he's been playing so far above where we thought he could ever play. So, yeah, that's a huge miss. So, yeah, uh, they've thrown Jack Campbell to the fire. It's been more down than up. You know, there have been signs of growth, but, like, he is, like, 
like you said, you know, for, you know, we say it about Jamison Williams for pick 18 for a first round pick. Yeah. You know, it's, it's fair to say not where you thought he'd be right now, but they're counting on him to be <laughs> where they need him to be these next couple of weeks. But yeah, uh, it's a, a very, very, like you said, they're way ahead of schedule. They're going to win the North this year. It seems like they're going to host a playoff game. So like big picture wise, feel happy, but yeah, be ready for that defensive breakdown. Cause when you watch the Eagles take every shot, the bills have <laughs> and still win that game the way they do. There's, there's a definite clear divide between teams <laughs> like the Eagles, the 49ers and the lions. Yeah, the Lions might not be elite, but they are very good. They are eight and three. Um, they travel to New Orleans for a very winnable game yeah. this week, and with the way their final month is shaping up, with two games against the Vikings, a game against the Cowboys, and by the way, the Broncos have won five straight. <laughs> That's going to be a tough four game stretch to end the year. So, winning games like this against New Orleans are, I think, critical. Getting your defense back on track uh, at a time where it's really scuffling is critical. Um, I think they can do it, but. Um, and if they do, Ben, they'll be nine and three. And with the Vikings off this weekend, they'll have yeah. a three game lead in the North, which will be their, I, that might be their biggest division lead ever in December. <laughs> <laughs> um, until then, let's get to Eric Kramer, the last Lions quarterback to win a playoff game, to to play a, a, a playoff game uh, in Detroit, a quarterback, um, and has a, a remarkable story uh, to tell us. All right, Ben, with the, the Lions bearing down on, um, you know, Possibility of their first home playoff game uh, since 1993. Certainly looking to make some noise once they're in the playoffs. Win a playoff game for the first time since 1991. We are, are joined now by the man who started at quarterback in both of those games for Detroit, Eric Kramer. Uh, Eric, I know it's early on the West Coast right now, so so thank you for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you guys for uh, having me on. I know the Lions are a big topic right now in Detroit, and deservedly so. Yeah, football's <laughs> king in Detroit, and... I mean, I've been on the beat since 2013, and it's always been easy to feel that. Even when there were some really dark times, you can feel the the passion in this town for football. It's pretty different, I think, than than most places. No doubt. Um, and and now they're actually good, and the top has just come off this city. Um, and I'm sure you can feel it too. I'll give you an example of that. So, I living in LA, um, I've never had season tickets to anything in my life. A couple of years ago, I got them for the Chargers. And the Chargers, probably the Rams too, but the Chargers literally play 17. They're the visiting team in 17 out of 17 games, meaning every home game is an away game for them. And so went to the uh, Bears, came out here and played the Chargers. And that was the setting for the best Charger game probably in their history and the worst Bears game probably in their history. Still, it was an away game for the Chargers. And then get on the plane on the red eye and wake up in Detroit to go to the Raiders <laughs> Detroit game. Just the opposite. I'm not sure there was a Raiders fan in there. And I'm sure there were, but you didn't hear them. And if they were, they were probably tucked up in some corner, like in the <laughs> bathroom somewhere. So in Detroit, uh, much like Chicago, uh, they are starving for a winner. And now they have one. And a good example of that is when they came out here to play mm -hmm. just and whipped up, you know, they, they beat the chargers handily. And uh, my girlfriend is saying, talking about uh, how this team, this lions team is in her mind, a Super Bowl contender. And I said, I agree. Some knucklehead behind goes, Whoa, pump the brakes. <laughs> Turn around, <laughs> you're in charger gear. 
I go, how about you get your foot off the brake and get a win? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, when the, you know, I was out of that game too, obviously, and when Riley Patterson hit the game winner at the buzzer, there was so it was so loud in there yeah. like in the press box we're in the kitty corner of the, like the far corner of the end zone so we have no vantage point on um whether a field goal is good or not i'm just looking right. at the refs or i'm waiting for the crowd and it was so loud after he made the kick that i thought he missed it and then i just saw a celebration on the field I'm like oh my god there's just this many lions fans at sofi <laughs> right right no they are that good it's been fun to watch this i mean i know they from the top down the organization finally has turned it over to Brad Holmes and what's obviously it, one of, if not the best coaching staffs in the league. And then a roster that fits everything they do and they're deep. And I don't care if both running backs go down. They got another guy waiting that's, you know, uh, receivers, doesn't matter. And I love the fact that, there was one reason the Rams lost to – there wasn't two. The Rams lost to the Patriots in the Super Bowl. One, it was Jared Goff. Everyone can agree on that. I think everyone can also agree that he is probably, if he's not already, should be the leading vote-getter in the MVP conversation. So a turnaround like that within, what, four or five years, because he was a cast-off here to Detroit. He was, yeah. like, thrown in, like, please take him off our hands. Yeah. And – Think of how many teams right now that we're still a team to take Jared Goff off the Rams' hands. Mm-hmm. Probably so, quite a bit. <laughs> Eric, you have a, a book out um, that we'll get to in a moment called The Ultimate Comeback. We, we will get into that, I promise. But um, yeah. <laughs> I'm just curious, your your perspective, um, You know, having started a home playoff game for Detroit, having won a playoff game for the Detroit Lions at quarterback, I, I'm curious, um, you were at the Lions-Raiders game, Monday Night Football, huge um, scene, obviously. What you saw that night, Lions Raiders, the the atmosphere, the excitement. How, how did that compare to what you remember from those days? Um, you know, having playoff success in Detroit. Yeah, it's very similar. Of course, we were in a different building back then in Pontiac Silverdome. But uh, once when you start winning, and I don't care if you're wherever you're playing in Michigan, if you know if you're winning, the fans there are incredible. For instance, so that playoff game you referenced. So I, I, I don't remember how many people fit in the Pontiac Silverdome, but whatever it was, it was more than was allowed in there, guaranteed. <laughs> and it was loud as can be. Like, even as a home, you couldn't think, much less talk, you know, and get any, you know, have somebody hear you. So that's what it was like at this Raiders game, that Monday night game. It was just, it was very cool to sit back and just watch it happen. Yeah. And just uh, what are your memories from that game? I mean, not only a playoff win for the first time in, what, 29 years at that point, but it's over the Dallas Cowboys and it's an absolute butt whooping, 38 to six. Like, what are your memories from that day? And just like the reaction in Detroit after that goes down? Uh, Well, I think it was just um, we what I remember is we executed in every way you could. I don't, and I don't care who we were playing. It was just like offensively, we barely missed a throw. In fact, the only guy early on to drop a pass was Barry. And defensively, <laughs> it was a beatdown. It was tip ball interceptions for touchdowns. It was special teams was playing great. I it just, 
it was um i don't know it, it for me it was just uh what you want to have happen is you kind of you want to be treated as though it's any other day and you want to focus as though it's any other day and it just happens to be a game and a playoff game at that so you know that's what i guess in the aftermath of looking backward you go oh wow that was awesome but in the moment, you really try to treat it as just like the next play and then the next play. Yeah. yeah. And that's interesting, Eric. I've been you know thinking a little bit about um, in recent days as we prepare for very likely January football in Detroit. I've been uh, that locker room is full of guys who have not even been to the playoffs in Detroit. I know Goff has been to the playoffs elsewhere and there's some other guys like that. But the roster is littered with guys who have never even been to the playoffs or if they have, there's been... Uh, no success. I think Taylor Decker and Graham Glasgow are the only players, Lions players, um, who have even uh, been in the in the in the tournament, and that mm-hmm. was for an ass kicking in Seattle. So, right. I have been thinking about what the player experience will be like if they do have you know playoff football at Ford Field, just knowing the anticipation and and the decades of anticipation. I mean, it's different than other places. It's yeah, uh, the losing is so deep here. What, what's your perspective on what? something like that is going to be like, um, you know, trying to contain your emotions and play your best ball, but knowing what the moment means to uh, a place like this. Well, I think part what you would want to do. So looking back, you know, you, you were talking about do I comparisons to the two teams. We were very young it, with the Lions back then. Everybody was young. And I'm not sure anybody on that team had been to a playoff game. And so if you wait until you're in one to think about the severity of it, that's too late. So it's to me, it's not the it's not the gravity of the situation that matters. It's whatever day of the week that you're playing the game on, like the Monday leading up should be the same kind of Monday and so on and so on. And it's all about your, you know, everybody talks about it. It's uh, not the event itself. It's preparing for it. Mm-hmm. And so that should be a season long culture in your locker room and up above as well. And so to me, that's what I see happening. I, I see it's a it's a growing building uh, process that just really takes care of itself. And if you sit around and you start thinking, oh, my God, this is huge. Yeah. Well, then it's going to be huge for the other team. And. That that's you know mentally anyway and emotionally that's to me the way you would want to move forward is just as you would any other game. Yeah. I love you know think about last year when the Lions just you know somebody won and now they're out of the playoffs and they're going to play Green Bay. So in some sideline report mm-hmm. before the game asked uh, Dan Campbell, okay, well what what motivation do you have to play for now? And he goes, well they're not going to win. Yeah. And it didn't take any hesitation, thought process, whatever. And the funny thing that made me laugh is as we're walking out of the stadium the other day after the Lions won, which was packed, by the way, with Lions fans, one guy had on a blue kneecap biting tour (laughs) (laughs) T-shirt. (laughs) 
And I and I pointed that out, and I was like, "That is awesome. <laughs> That's fantastic." <laughs> uh, I just got one more on the this current team, and there's a connection. One of your former teammates, we talked about the kind of top to bottom, the front office, the coaching yeah. staff. Chris Spielman. Chris Spielman's yeah. role in this. Just how how explain how someone like that can kind of help bring it together on the football side, on the business side. What what makes Chris special? I mean, I'm. We're watching training camp practices, and he's in the middle of the field fixing divots. He's got a weight vest on, and I'm looking at him. I'm like, "This is a different dude right here." <laughs> like, so I'm just well, curious. Like, so what, you're right. So when we were teammates, so um, everybody knows kind of the personality and tenacity Chris played with. So it was hard to beat him into. In fact, impossible to beat him into the building in the morning. So he was literally in there. I don't even know what time. I'm going to guess probably five o'clock, six o'clock. And six o'clock would be too late, five o'clock hour for sure. And um, I remember calling him up last year, and th- I think the lines were like one and three at the time. And I go, How is it you guys, are, or how is it the team is so good right now? And he goes, This coaching staff is ridiculous. And so, you know, I think Chris is the perfect guy to kind of be the go between between ownership and the coaching staff. And uh, and by the way, you guys also have a former teammate of mine from college, um, Ray Agnew, who (laughs) he was a freshman when I was a senior. And uh, so he gets obviously drafted in the first round by the Patriots, then goes back and wins the Super Bowl with the Rams. And so we're having breakfast uh, one morning and it was during the COVID time. And so. Couldn't go over the building and say hi or anything like that. Next thing I know, he's on a plane for Detroit. And uh, so I, I texted him while I was there. And uh, he was, I guess, he was on the field. And I said, hold on, I'm waiting to get down there. And so he couldn't. So, yeah, he was up in the box by the time I got there. But anyway, um, yeah, I think the the fact that they're, they're getting the right people in pr- place, like you mentioned, from Chris Spielman on down, um, the, there's just a lot of good people involved who've enjoyed a lot of success along the way, uh, whether it be as a player or a coach. And I just think that, you know, I, it's just awesome to see, as you can see yourselves, as you can feel being there. It's been a while since the Detroit Lions can say that we stack up against anybody. And they look to be in a situation where that's going to be the way for a long time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Eric Kramer is our guest. He's got a new book out called uh, The Ultimate Comeback. Um, Eric, I did want to catch up with you about the the book. And I think your story is is well known at this point, your your story of um, trial and perseverance. And um, for those who don't know, I don't really know how to say this delicately, but you you put a gun to your head. <laughs> 
and you pulled the trigger and you're you're with us today talking to us um i have some goosebumps even saying those words and forgive me if i'm being a little blunt but no, it's, it's a it's a it's a remarkable story eric um I'm curious what you want people to know about your story and I guess in, in uh, specifically know about the book and what you've written. Um, as you mentioned, I, I, I've, you know, been through quite a bit in uh, I'm 59 years old now. And from being a little kid, you know, just kind of wanting to play sports and, and football wasn't even my best sport growing up. And, um, and, but I was a long shot to even make it. And then somehow did, but, you know, I had a couple of parents that I wasn't real close with growing up and then dealt with some depression while playing and had a series of events happen once I was done about, uh, you know, even before Griffin passed away, which was my older son at the time, my mom had uh, gotten sick with um, uterine cancer. Literally found out about it the day after Mother's Day in 2011. And that was a big shock to everybody. Um, Griffin at that time was back in high school because he, in his 10th grade year, had gone into inpatient drug rehab for three months. And then um, it transitioned into an outpatient program uh, where he wasn't going to school like a high school. He was going, there was like individualized schooling. And was doing well that way. I could see, though, in Griffin, that as this outpatient program began winding down, he kind of had his eye on the finish line, which in recovery, there's no such thing. And so, you know, I could see his thinking began to change from being grateful he was there to here, I'm just about to be out. Yeah. And, uh, and so... Yeah, and he and he did not have uh, a good return to high school experience. Like school was never going to be his thing ever. And same way with fitting in with certain kids, that wasn't the environment for him. You know, he left a very controlled one to a very normal, just a regular public high school, which is not where he needed to be. That's where he came from. So in any event, uh, Griffin, it didn't take long. Um, I think the, the outpatient program, I think finished in what, February or March of 2011 and, um, October 30th, I got a phone call in the morning from the sheriff's department to come down. And as I'm walking up the steps, the officer meets me outside and lets me know that Griffin didn't make it through the night. And, um, so he apparently died of a heroin overdose. There's no way to describe virtually the the crashing of emotions that brings. And yet, uh, so my mom was still sick. She ends up having a, you know, radical surgery where they removed uh, parts of several organs. And, um, you know, she survived that, but eventually she passed away about eight months later in July of 2012. And then around that time, my dad, who I'd also not been close with, he had some uh, untreated acid reflux, apparently, which then turned into esophageal cancer. And I don't know if you've ever had anybody contract that, but there's no way out from that. And uh, so that was about a three-ish year downward spiral. So yeah, I, I, at some point in all of that mess, uh, 
I began to get, uh, you know, this feeling came back of like driving down the street one day and go, uh-oh, this depression, here it is again. Only it went way down the hole. And uh, so to reference back to your point, Mike, uh, yeah, I did put a gun to my head and um, uh, went of all places, <laughs> didn't want to, Griffin, Dylan wasn't living with me. He was living with his mom at the time, who didn't live far away. And this depression kind of zaps you of any perspective. And, and one of the things that zaps you of perspective of is what it's going to do to everyone else. So for you, it's going to be over. For everyone else, it's going to be just the beginning. And you don't have any perspective of that. Um I thought I was doing the world a favor. And I remember, you know, uh, Anna, who wasn't then, but is now my girlfriend, we've been friends since high school. You know, she said, you know, she kept referring to this as an accident. And I said, this is not an accident. Or it wasn't an accident. I, this is very well calculated. And then a couple more years went by and I go, you know what? You're right. Because no one in their right mind would ever do this, like on purpose. Uh, and so... Yeah, that's how I refer to it now. It, it's an accident. It's an accident in the sense that I was, I had lost my faculties for sure and lost my perspective. And that is depression. The depression just kind of, it doesn't, there's no knock at the door going, here I am. And, or, you know, in three months, I'll be there. So make sure you get ready. So it's just, it's a, a hard thing to get around once you've got it. So, the, the, the point here I'm trying to make is there's a lot you can do pre to prevent it from ever happening. So anyway, we can talk more about that or, you know, a lot of that's in the book. But the idea is that it's got a little something for everybody in terms of what this story tells. It's um, people mm -hmm. that have read it have told me, you know, hey, I've got a son or a daughter who has talked about having depression before. I didn't know what to tell them, you know. And there's people that have had depression themselves and said, no one knows what I'm talking about. And then there's people that have had, you know, parents that they weren't close with. Or my dad had a had an overbearing driving. He drove me. All right. Fine. But he didn't walk it himself. So there was plenty of times where I felt like I was his parent and. I'm sure there's people out there that have had a similar situation to that. That's just kind of been, you know, it's like maybe not talked about, but they've, you know, maybe never read anything before that someone else has dealt with that. So, but before both of my parents passed away, I, you know, the way I think of them now is we're all products of where we come from and how we're raised. Neither one of them had anything close to what you would think, what you would want in being brought up. And so, um, you know, there's a little, you know, ironically, there's a little perspective in this book about someone who's gone through some stuff that in the looking back, I've changed my own perspective to where like the idea of forgiveness, you don't have to announce it. You know, that's an inside job. Eric, you have a, a powerful story. It's obviously very difficult. You've been through the darkest times that a human can. So I, I appreciate you uh, sharing with us. I, I know it probably can't be easy to 
uh, not only go through, but to relive it over and over in these interviews and things like that as you go through a book tour. So I just wanted to say, I appreciate that. I, you know, hopefully it helps people out there. I know depression can feel like a lonely experience sometimes that what you're feeling is unique to you that people can understand. So hopefully you sharing the things you've been through can help, help folks. I did want to go, I just want to ask one follow-up. I know Ben's got something for you too, but just to take our, um, our listeners back to um, that night or that day um, mm-hmm. where you pulled the trigger. I, 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 I'm just curious what you remember from that night, your state of mind, uh, you know, where you, the, the thing went down. I, I, I don't, I don't want to be insensitive. No, no, it's okay. I, I, I we're talking about two, August of 2015. It's now, you know, not quite, but what, nine years later-ish, uh, eight, nine years later. And so I have a much different perspective now on life, uh, much different, and even at that time. So as I mentioned, I didn't want, even though Dylan didn't wasn't living with me, I didn't want him coming in the house to see a dead father. So... I chose a place called the Good Night Inn of all places. And uh, that day, I spent all my time writing letters to people, Dylan being one of them, uh, my other son. And I remember at one point during the day, like there was nothing left to do. And I was standing at the top of the stairs going, okay, well, now there is only one thing left to do. And so... I put this gun in, in uh, I think, an overnight bag or something. I didn't take anything with me. And uh, I remember sitting on the bed and literally just watching TV. And at some point, I said, uh, okay, well, I guess now's the time. I don't remember much after that. I don't remember much leading up to that. Um, but apparently I had, uh, you know, called or texted people or who knows what I did. And uh, thankfully, I texted uh, a friend of mine from high school who was at that very Lost Hill Sheriff's Department, which was right down the street from the hotel I was at. Anyway, Chris calls the station, calls the paramedics, whatever. And apparently he called me and no answer on the cell phone. So he had the I, I guess he called the hotel and asked for my room, which Apparently, I picked up the phone. And uh, after that, I i mean, I don't remember doing that. Um, but apparently, there was, you know, someone at the door that I got up and opened and walked down into the ambulance. And I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what happened. Like, after that, uh, it, I, I think the next few years kind of went away. Well, Lord, God willing, and thankfully you're still with us. And I mean, one of those things you talk about in this book is living with a purpose. And I'm mm-hmm. just curious, you know, you talk about depression, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't something in place for people like going through that when you were playing back in the day, there wasn't even a place to talk about it. There probably wasn't even like a definition to know what you were going through. So I guess just living with purpose, how much purpose have you found in telling your story, being there like just to listen, to talk, to share, you know, your highs, your lows and all of that. And just kind of how that has kind of just made this, I, I think you said it in the the pitch of the book, a, a rebirth for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think a couple of the things that I have, a couple of projects I have going on too, in particular, um, one is a mental health program for kids and families and starting out at the age of 
you know, what would be fourth and fifth and sixth graders. And uh, there's a couple people I'm working on this with. We want to get it into a elementary after school program and uh, a middle school after school program. And just so happens that in Thousand Oaks, where I live, it's also uh, where the Rams are currently and uh, their practice facility. So there's actually two middle schools, one right down the street from where I live, where there's two, uh, each has a boys and girls club on their campus. And so the idea of this program is uh, it's going to be most likely a a workshop environment, like a once a week workshop, where kids start to identify what characteristics in people their age, or maybe even older, that they can identify, hey, those are good characteristics to have. So at a young age like that, you want something to look up to. And it could be as simple as People who don't talk about other people is a good thing uh, when they're not present. Or somebody who is a good listener, obviously telling the truth. And, uh, you know, just reference the issue issue there. You want to have people that that are empathetic. Then you want to learn how to approach somebody to build this support system, which I call a home team. And it could be people your own age. It could be people slightly older than you. It could be a parent, a coach, a teacher. Um, And so then once you learn how to approach them and you would say something like, uh, hey, I'm putting this little home team together. Would you be willing to be on it? Meaning, could I come to you and tell you about some of the good things that are happening in my life? Could I come to you and tell you some of the things that are kind of making me feel a little, you know, not right? You know, if you start at 10 years old, by the time you graduate high school, you're 17, 18 years old, you've lived nearly half your life cultivating and noticing and hopefully earning your way onto someone else's home team so that who's going to raise their hand and go, okay, give me a show of hands. Who wants to be a bully here? Ain't going to happen. And so you start, you avert things that go along with depression, which would be anxiety and things where you get nervous in situations. We all get nervous, but we don't always know how to handle that. So those are all things that can be part of this program so that, you know, depression typically comes along, at least in my experience, where uh, it's, it's not a collaborative effort, right? It's something that just conspires within you And it kind of acts like a fog where pretty soon you can't see through. There's nothing to see through. It's just you inside of this cocoon. And um, so the opposite of that is collaborating with other people. And and so that's the idea of starting it young um, and growing it as, as kids get older. The foundation really of how to communicate. Eric Kramer, you have a unique story of trial and triumph and trial and triumph throughout your playing days and your post-playing days and some of the ultimate highs and Lions football in the Super Bowl era and some of the ultimate lows in the human ex- experience. Um, and you're here today to talk about it and, and you're, you're sharing with people, hopefully will help people. And um, certainly it's been a pleasure catching up with you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Guys. You're doing yep. great stuff. Thank you.